You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. The scripture today is taken from Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, through the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. But I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forts. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the man lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth below, beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the man said to her, Our lives, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours. Then the Lord gives us the land, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lim Pei. Uh, very good morning, everyone. The Lord bless you. You know, every now and then, I kind of need to remind people that my name is actually Johanan. Uh, you know, it was only in my teenage years that people started calling me Nan, uh, but somehow that nickname has stuck. And, you know, just let you know, my name is actually Johanan. Uh, when I was in university, uh, in my 20s, you know, most of my friends, my peers, they were thinking about marriage, they were thinking about family. It was around that time that people started to crack jokes about how if I had a son, I should name him Joshua, right? Because, you know, the Bible talks about Joshua, the son of Nun, right? So you realize Christian jokes are usually not very funny. So, yeah, but, you know, I'm, now that my father is actually, uh, you know, this joke has become very real, right? It's, uh, it's come as haunting me. But thankfully, uh, my first child is a, is a girl. But my wife is pregnant, 
And just on Monday, my wife and I found out that we're having a baby boy. <laughs> ah, yeah. So now that uh, joke is really coming back to haunt us. So in any case, uh, my wife and I, uh, we're really grateful for this little gift that God has given us. And of course, as we anticipate the birth of our son, we recognize that God is surely calling us to courage. Now, like what I said last Sunday, every Christian is called to courage, right? You may be a new Christian, you may have been a Christian for decades and decades, but you are always, always in need of courage. You can't live the Christian life without it. John Piper in his book, uh, Risk is Right, which is what the cell groups will be reading together this year, he says this, it is the will of God that we be uncertain about how life on this earth will turn out for us. And therefore, it is the will of the Lord that we take risks for the cause of God. Life is not in our control. Let me repeat that. Life is not in our control. We have no idea what tomorrow will bring. Health or sickness, wealth or poverty, peace or chaos, we have no idea. And because life is beyond our control, there's no way to live life without courage. We have to take risks. We have to face our fears. We have to decide what is of utmost value and then pursue it at all costs. There's no way to live life without courage. Every Christian is called to courage. Now, this morning, we're looking at Joshua chapter 2, and Joshua chapter 2 is uh, it's a detour, right? It's a totally redundant chapter. You can skip it, you know, and you wouldn't miss very much. You could very literally read Joshua chapter 3 immediately after Joshua chapter 1, and you wouldn't feel like anything's wrong, right? The story would still flow uh, so well. But for some reason, we have Joshua chapter 2, and from our point of view, it's a major detour. Now, we don't like detours. I mean, if you're a tourist, you're visiting somewhere, yes, you know, detours are fine. But when it comes to your life and your plans, your dreams, your ambitions, nobody likes it when things get off track, right? Nobody enjoys having to make a detour. It is frustrating. It is confusing. Uh, it makes us feel helpless. Uh, makes us feel purposeless, lost. Uh, detours fill our hearts with anxiety. They eat at our ability to love, even those who are closest to us. Detours remind us in the most painful way that life is not in our control. So what do we do when life gets messed up? How do we face the detours that inevitably will come our way? This morning, I want to lead us into Joshua chapter 2 and prepare us to face life's detours with courage. How do we do that? I want to give us three instructions, and I'll give us one instruction at a time uh, as we go through the passage. So instruction number one, don't ignore the war. Many, many years ago, uh, my mathematics teacher taught me something that for some reason I still remember today. Uh, she said, the shortest distance from point A to point B is a straight line. Right? I'm not sure if she was teaching us math or like common sense, but that stuck with me. So even today, uh, when Google Maps tells me to you know, take the follow the path around to my destination, 
my instinct is to choose to cut through instead. Why? Because if the straight line is the shortest way, then it must be the fastest way. And if it is the fastest way, then it must be the best way. And I think that's how we think, right? The best way to live life is by taking the shortest, fastest way from where I currently am to where I want to be. We hate detours because it's the long way. It's not just a waste of our time, but it's a waste of our life. Now we come back to Joshua. God has called Joshua to take the promised land. So Joshua, you know, in obedience, he's calling the people of Israel to assemble, to gather along the Jordan River. And their first mission will be to cross the Jordan River. But it's going to take a few days for the people to all assemble and all gather by the Jordan River. So what should Joshua do in the meantime? Right? He's a military guy. He's, he's not going to just sit around and waste time. Joshua wants to complete his mission as efficiently as possible. So what does Joshua do? He sends out spies. He tells them to check out the promised land and especially to look out for Jericho because Jericho will be their first major battle. Now to Joshua, this is not a detour. Right? For him, this is a calculated investment. It's like, you know how students go for internships uh, during their university, uh, school holidays, and so on? Uh, it's, it's to prepare for the future, right? It's to save time in the future. It's to make things as smooth as possible. And that's what Joshua's doing. But what Joshua doesn't know is that this mission will prove to be a detour. What Joshua intended as a calculated investment, God has ordained as a detour. The spies will come back later at the end of the passage and they will have very little practical information, but God still has his reasons. So at this point, the spies, are, they set off, they come to the city of Jericho, and to avoid suspicion, they do what most foreigners would do when they come to Jericho, they visit a brothel, right? It's a place of prostitutes. But their plan doesn't work because almost immediately, the spies and their locations are discovered. Now, at this point in the passage is where we meet the king of Jericho. And he's very easy to miss in this chapter. But there is a king in Jericho, and he is very significant. Now, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, God curses Satan, the serpent. And God says to the serpent, you and the woman will forever be at war with one another. And then God says, not only you, but your offspring and the woman's offspring will continue to be at war even down the generations. And that's what's happening. From the woman comes the nation of Israel. They are her offspring. And during Moses' time, they had to fight off a particularly powerful offspring of the serpent. And that was Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. The Egyptians wanted the people of Israel dead and they waged war against Israel. Now, Israel faces another offspring of the serpent. And this is the king of Jericho, and he too wants the people of Israel dead. And so he's looking for these spies because he wants to use them to destroy Israel, to destroy the offspring of the woman. Now, even though we don't see the battle lines drawn out, we don't see, you know, we don't hear the, the swords clanging, we don't see arrows flying across, we don't see soldiers being deployed, but the reality is, and make no mistake, the war has already begun. And this war is between the king of Jericho, Satan's offspring, 
and the king of Israel. And I want to tell you that the king of Israel is not Joshua. The king of Israel is God. It is Yahweh. Now, people, in the same way, let me tell you that the war has begun. And you do have an enemy, and I want to warn you not to overlook him. You know, chances are we may have strolled into 2024 and just completely unaware that it's a battlefield. Right? We've got our goals, we've got our plans. You know, you know what you want to do. And you know what you hope God will do for you. But then you forget Satan, right? He's not on your radar at all. And you think you're just taking the straightest line, the shortest, fastest way uh, to where you want to go. But totally oblivious that your enemy has turned that path into a minefield, right? It's a trap. Now, some of us are already on a detour, maybe because of a health situation, maybe a crisis in your family, you know, something that has happened that just wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't part of the plan. And you may be on a detour and God has purposes for it, but you've got an enemy who's going to try and turn this detour into a dead end. Satan is all about infiltrating, sabotaging, and destroying God's work and God's purposes. So people, we are fighting a war. What do we do? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. People, we do not respond to Satan with fear, but with courage. Be strong, not in yourself, not in your plans, not in your resources, but in the Lord. Just as God delivered Israel from Pharaoh, God is strong to deliver you. Just as God will deliver the two spies from the king of Jericho, God is able to deliver you. Now, Satan's got the worst plans for us, for our lives, for our families, for our church, for the city, for the nations. But we can stand, we can prevail against whatever he throws against us. Now, in particular, I want to point to you two ways that we stand against Satan, right? Two ways we stand against the schemes of Satan. Now, Paul goes on to say, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, praying for all the saints. Last Sunday, I talked about getting into God's Word. And this morning, I want to say that we've got to do that. We've got to get into God's Word. There's no other way we're going to find courage for this war. There's no other way we can be strong in the Lord. There's no other way we can stand against Satan's schemes except by getting into God's Word. Now, I want to say a little more about getting into God's Word. You know, sometimes we we use the Bible uh, like a walking stick. Right? We, we read it, we feel comforted, uh, we feel assured, we feel secure, and all this is wonderful, nothing wrong with that. But the problem is we stop there. Right? That's all the Bible is to us. It's a walking stick in our hands for us to lean on. But Ephesians says God's word is meant to be a sword in our hands that we wield against the enemy. And the way God's word becomes a sword is when we pray it. People, you've got to pray the Word of God. 
Sometimes we read the Bible and then we're done and then we start to pray for all those other things we need and there's just like no connection between what we've read and what we're praying for. And again, we've got to pray the Word of God. Right? Is there something about God's character that you've read that you want to declare in prayer? Is there a scheme of Satan that you've read about in the Old Testament that you want to war against in prayer? Right? Are there passages you've just read that are actually ready to be prayed almost word for word for the situations, the detours that you're facing in your life? What promises has God given in His Word that you can plead over your life, over your family, over your church? And what about Jesus, our King, our Commander-in-Chief, our Savior? What about Him do you see in the Scriptures that drives you to want to pray for the lost, to pray for the broken, to pray for those oppressed in the world around us? People pray the Word of God. Reading the Bible is great. Prayer is great. But praying the Bible is power. And it is our weapon in the Spirit against Satan. Now, let me say something about our church, right? Agape Baptist Church. Huh? I hope you've listened to the Legacy podcast already uh, because one of the things about Lilio Rogers' legacy that has become a part of our church's legacy is spiritual warfare. And now, as we embark on our church planting vision, people, this is warfare. Right? Originally, this vision was launched in 2019, but 2020 was a major detour for us. COVID-19 hit, we were hit with other crises as well. And this detour carried on till 2022. And that's when we finally asked ourselves, is the church planting vision still on or not? And we decided, yes, we believe this is where God has called us. But ever since we've restarted that vision, there are still questions that linger. We still ask, why are we doing this? Right? There are so many areas to work on in our church. There are so many needs to meet. There are people who have left our church who are unhappy with how things are. Shouldn't we attend to these things before we think about planting a church? Now, there's truth there. There's wisdom there. And there are things for us to reflect upon and to work on. But this is a war. And we have an enemy. Now, do you think he wants agape? Satan, do you think he wants agape to start planting churches? Do you think he wants this vision to succeed? Of course not. People, this is war, and we've got to be praying God's word over our church. We've got to be renewing strength, renewing courage in the Lord, not in ourselves. And if we think Satan will just allow us to move forward with little resistance, we are in for an ugly shock. People, this is war. So every day, take up your weapon. Wield God's word with prayer. Cover this church with prayer. Cover our God-given vision with prayer. Don't ignore the war. That's the first instruction on facing life's detours with courage. Now, here's the second. Let God choose your allies. So at this point, the, the spies are at the brothel. The king of Jericho is out to get them. And this is where the attention, the spotlight turns to a prostitute called Rahab. Now, the king of Jericho, he demands that Rahab hand over the spies, but Rahab has made her own calculated investment. She hides the spies on the roof, and then she deceives uh, the so-called Jericho police. Now, Rahab knew that she was making a big decision. By hiding the spies, by deceiving the king, she and her family 
uh, could be sentenced to death, right? What she was doing is treason. But what Rahab didn't know was that God was about to turn her calculated investment into the biggest detour of her life. Now, when we look at the New Testament, Rahab is actually mentioned as many times as Joshua. And if you look closely, Rahab is actually more celebrated in the New Testament than Joshua. Now, some Christians, you know, even non-Christians, they get quite offended. They get quite disturbed by this. They, they stumble over Rahab because Rahab is firstly a prostitute, right? Probably even a cult prostitute, which means she sells her body in worship to other gods. But not only that, Rahab is a deceiver, right? She deceives the Jericho police four times. She tells them, I didn't know where the men were from. Uh, you know, number two, they already left the city. Uh, number three, I don't know where they went. And then she finally tells them, you know, if you leave now, you will surely catch them. So many untruths. And Christians look at her and wonder, why does the Bible make such a big deal of this sleazy, lying woman, someone like Rahab? Isn't God the God of truth? Isn't Satan the father of lies? Now let's take a moment to just make sense of Rahab's untruths. Here are a few things for us to consider. Firstly, we've got to recognize Rahab was not a worshiper of Yahweh at that time. Right? And she's not just your average unbeliever, she's a prostitute, which means that she belongs to the underbelly, to the ugliest parts of society. Now lying and deceiving may have been a natural part of her life. And since she wasn't a believer at that time, why should we hold her lies against her? Now, secondly, we've got to recognize that the culture Rahab was in, it valued loyalty over honesty. Right? The predominant culture at that time elevated group identity over individual expression. And what that means is that you better make your family look good. You better not bring shame to your community, even if you have to lie. The sense of honor and shame was more important than the individual sense of feeling guilty or feeling innocent. Now, in that sense, Rahab's deceptions, they actually reveal her loyalty. She's no longer loyal to Jericho. She's now loyal to Israel. And that's what the, the Bible is really celebrating in Joshua chapter 2. She has now joined the Lord's side. Now, there are many other explanations that we could get into, especially like if we try and break down what exactly constitutes lying. But I'm going to leave us with this final reason, that this is war. This is life and death. Right? Rahab was put on the spot. Her response would determine whether the two spies would live or die. And when the, the king of Jericho demands that she hands over the spies, she can't just say, um, no comment. Right? She can't say, uh, I would like to exercise my right to remain silent. Or I can neither confirm nor deny whether the spies are truly in my house or not. Right? Obviously, if she gives a non-answer, it's as good as admitting that the spies are there. And that would mean that they would have to die. And so while truth-telling is really important, we also want to remember that saving life is equally or perhaps even more important. And I think that's a tough tension to hold. Right? I mean, I think about my brothers and sisters in North Korea, in China, in the Middle East, in all parts of the world where you know, they're just experiencing that tension in a very real way. 
Now, as we look at them and, you know, we see them deceiving the wicked authorities over them in order to preserve the lives of their fellow Christians, how are we going to condemn them? That's a difficult question. It's a really tough one. But the bottom line is, uh, the Bible doesn't condemn Rahab for her deceptions, and neither should we. Instead, what the Bible celebrates is that the lives of these spies are saved because of the courage of one unlikely sinner. Because of Rahab's courage, this detour doesn't become a dead end. Now, here's what we can take from this. God supplies our desperate detours in the most unexpected ways through the most unexpected people, and they are God's timely blessing to you. You know, in the past, we used to call the pick your residence uh, Rahabs. Right? I don't really hear that very much anymore. Now, why did we call them Rahabs? Right? It was to remind us that we are trusting God for unexpected people who would create unexpected opportunities for God's work in Pekyo. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, when, when Jesus sent out his disciples to do the work of ministry, he told them to be on the lookout for men of peace. Right? People, men or women, who would help them in their ministry by showing them hospitality. And Jesus said that even if someone, right, someone out there uh, in, the, in the village, in the community, if someone were to give you, as an ambassador of Christ, a cup of water, or in Pekyo, um, a packet drink probably, right? They will be rewarded. So God has placed Rahabs everywhere where his kingdom is expanding. Not only in Pekyo, not only in our church planting vision, but even in your life as well. You know, there may be a cell member, part of your cell group who frustrates you, right? Maybe it's his lousy attendance, maybe it's her her lousy attitude, you know, God may have planted this cell member in your cell group for your good, especially for a trying time that has yet to come. Similarly, in your workplace, in your school, uh, among your neighbors, you know, these may not be Christians. They may not be your kind of people. They may not belong to your tribe, whether in politics or in football or maybe their stance on some controversial subject. But one day, these people may prove to be God's timely blessing to you in times of crisis, in times of detour. Now we look at this and we wonder, you know, why must God do things this way? Right? Why must he use the most difficult people, the most unexpected people to be our help, to be our blessing in that time of need? And I think the simple answer is because we're too proud. We're too proud and we're too secure in the wrong things. And God wants to humble us, and God wants us to find security in Him. So people, let God choose your allies. Let's look at the third and final instruction to facing detours with courage. Muster that mustard seed courage. Now we're at the final part of the passage. Uh, once the Jericho police, they've gone their way, Rahab speaks to the spies, and this is actually the most important part of our passage this morning. Oftentimes, people make such a big deal about the lies that Rahab told that they miss out the truths that Rahab proclaims here. So looking at verse 9 to 13, let's make loud Rahab's truths. 
The first truth Rahab confesses is this. Yahweh, God, the God of Israel, is unstoppable. And she tells the spies, I know Yahweh has given you the land. Now, why does she say this? She says, because Yahweh, your God, is God in the heavens above and God on the earth beneath. Rahab has come to realize the majesty of God. She realizes that this is the God above all other gods, right? No deity in heaven can save and deliver Jericho, and no human on earth can deliver Jericho. Yahweh is unstoppable. Now, the second thing Rahab confesses is that Yahweh is undeniable. Now, how does she know that Yahweh is unstoppable? Rahab says, everyone knows. Everyone in Jericho knows. We've all heard what Yahweh has done through you, Israelites. Everyone knows. We all know how he parted the Red Sea for you and how he destroyed Pharaoh. We've heard of how he gave you victory in the wilderness over King Sihon of the Amorites, King Og of Bashan. Everyone knows Yahweh is undeniable. His power cannot be silenced. And now everyone in Jericho has heard the bad news that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is going to come across the Jordan River and he's going to pay our city, Jericho, a visit. Everyone knows what's going to happen and we are trembling with fear. Our courage has failed. Our strength has left us. There's no breath left in our bodies. Our hearts have melted like wax before that great flaming tsunami that is Yahweh. We know the bad news. We cannot deny it. Yahweh will destroy us. Then Rahab confesses the third truth. Yahweh is the only answer. Rahab has seen God's majesty. She's, she's heard of Yahweh's uh, might and she trembles in fear. Now she makes a plea to the two spies. She says to them, I've shown you kindness, guys. Please, not just for my sake, but for the sake of my parents, my siblings, their families. I think as a, as a prostitute, Rahab didn't have any husband or, or any children. But please, she says, swear to me in the name of Yahweh that you will return that same kindness to me and to my family. Tell me there's good news. Promise me that our lives can still be saved. Now, Rahab sees God's greatness. She cannot de deny his fearsome power. But even as she trembles in fear, there's a small seed of courage that makes her reach out to the same terrifying God to ask for his mercy. She realizes no one else can save her from the wrath of this God, but this God alone. But the question is, will this God of power and destruction also prove to be a God of mercy and life? Rahab doesn't know, but she doesn't have a choice. Unless she turns to God, she and her family will surely perish. And like Esther, Queen Esther, who approached the king for the sake of all the Jews, saying, if I perish, I perish, Rahab musters up what little courage she has, and she approaches God. People, do you want to know where true courage comes from? True courage doesn't come from just believing that you have an all-powerful God who is unstoppable. True courage doesn't even come from witnessing God's power firsthand or hearing testimonies of others secondhand. 
Now you realize that everybody in Jericho knew that God is unstoppable. Everybody in Jericho knew that God is undeniable. They had heard the horrifying news. They had seen the aftermath. They all knew these things, but only Rahab acted in courage. Why? Because only Rahab realized that God alone is the answer. God alone is our only option. God alone can save her. People, we can confess how powerful God is all we want. You know, we can share all kinds of inspiring testimonies to one another, what God has done in your life or in the lives of other people. But until we conclude that God alone is Savior, until we come to that realization that God is the only one we need, only then do we find courage. It's when you come to fear God, but you also put your trust in Him. When your heart not only trembles before His power, but is also lifted up to His grace, then and only then can you experience true courage. People, courage blooms like a mustard seed when you realize that there is no greater fear than God and yet no brighter hope than Him. God alone has the power to destroy body and soul. Yet God alone has the power to give life in abundance. And until you begin to ask, who else can I turn to but this God, you will never experience true courage. You know, Jesus marveled at the mustard seed because though it was such a small seed, it would become such a large tree. Now, in the same way, all you need is to take up that small, flimsy, shaky kind of courage, bring it before God, look to His mercy, and you will find that that courage will blossom over time. Because just as what Rahab discovered, we too will discover that God is merciful, that God is kind and compassionate, that God doesn't despise the weak and the wavering, that God is good. Look, I, I have no idea what detours the Lord has in store for you, even for me this year. I have no idea what detours we're going to experience as we continue in this church planting vision. But here's the encouragement. When you look at Joshua's overall conquest of the promised land, Joshua chapter 2 seems totally irrelevant. It adds little to no value to Joshua's plans. It makes little difference to his strategy. But God ordains Joshua chapter 2 as a detour for two purposes. And we'll look at one of those purposes next week. But here's the first purpose. Why does God put Joshua and the spies through all this trouble, sending them on such a crazy ride, this kind of a detour? People, it was all to save Rahab. In this detour, God's first purpose is Rahab, to deliver this pagan, to save this prostitute, to adopt an enemy into his kingdom family. People, if you take nothing away from this sermon, don't miss this. God is pursuing you. God is hot on your heels. You may hate God in your heart. You may be his enemy. You may be totally in love with so many of the shiny, glittering things on earth. Singapore may be like a Jericho to you, right? The people of Jericho, they put their faith in the walls of Jericho. 
when they heard about the destruction God was bringing against his enemies, they were afraid, but they carried on with their lives. They got married, they had children, they went to work, they enjoyed their holidays, they saw the doctor, they got rich. They just carried on like nothing was wrong. And they trusted in the walls of Jericho. They trusted in the king of Jericho to give them that security and stability. Now, Singapore might be like a Jericho to you. You trust the stability, you trust the security, you put your trust in the prosperity that we have here. And you know, there are times, yeah, you know, you think about God, you consider maybe how far you are from Him, maybe that scares you, but then you carry on. You read the news, you get back on social media, you distract yourself with whatever everyone else is talking about, and you push the thought of God and His coming judgment to the back of your mind. Now, that may be you, or maybe you're just like Rahab. You may be such a terrible sinner. You've done things that still fill you with shame and with self-loathing. You hate the person you've become. Whenever people talk about God's love to you, it makes no sense to you. Because that good news, it bounces off the wall of your self-hatred. Now, you may be any one of these things. You may be all of these things. But here's the truth. We are Rahab. We are Rahab, and God is pursuing us. God is hot on our heels. This is the God who puts a whole military campaign on hold just to save one pagan prostitute and her family. This is the God who leaves the 99 sheep to seek out the one that got lost. People, Jesus made the ultimate detour when he came to earth in human flesh. He came to die in your place and he rose to life so that you might enjoy his life. People, God is pursuing you. And because he's pursuing you, take courage, take heart, be strong in the Lord, take up the sword of the Spirit, pray his word with boldness, be brave in welcoming the allies he places in your life. Because God is pursuing you, courageously reach out to Him. Look for His mercy. Trust in His goodness. Even the tiniest mustard seed of courage is more than enough. He will receive you. And as a church planting church, may the churches we plant be an extension of God's pursuing arm so that all the Rahabs just like us might enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for pursuing us. We thank you, Lord, for all those detours that you've led us into. Because, Lord, even in those detours, It's always been about seeking and saving the lost that we, like Rahab, might find new life and new hope, that we might find good news in a world that is confronted by the bad news of your wrath and judgment. Father, that is your heart, Lord, to seek and save the lost. Lord, we praise you even now as we look back on all the detours you've taken our church on, Lord, we think even about 
that American woman, those decades ago, whom you led to put aside her, maybe her hope for marriage, her hope for a family, her hope for a, a comfortable life, uh, the American dream, and she decides to become a missionary. And Lord, not just a missionary, not just a missionary to another state in America, not just a missionary to another place nearby, but to be sent to follow your call all the way to the other side of the earth to bring good news, to seek and save the lost. We thank you for that young man in Alosta who was just growing up, living his life. When you reached out, plucked him, put him in your kingdom, brought him to Singapore, and Lord, used him even to build up this church. Lord, we thank you for the lives of so many who have built up this church because of the detours that you have sent them on. The people who have put aside their hopes and ambitions and dreams and fears even, Lord, and have come following you and we are beneficiaries of that, Lord. Father, we bless you and we praise you, Lord. How many people have come into your saving light, into your saving family, because there were men and women who walked that path of the detour that you set them on. Father, we look at ourselves and say, Lord, we want to be like them, Lord. Use us. Send us, Lord, as far and as inconveniently, Lord, as it seems. Do whatever it takes, Lord, that lives can be saved, that your heart to seek and save the lost would be expressed in our lives, Lord. Father, as we are confident that you who did not withhold your son from us will surely give us everything we need, Lord, we ask that you help us to respond with courage, that you would cause courage to blossom and to bloom like a mustard seed in our lives, Lord. Lord, grant us courage to make war with the enemy with bold prayer, Lord. Grant us courage to take a risk with the unexpected people you've placed in our lives. Lord, to be confident, Lord, of your saving purposes through the detours that you bring us through. And Father, we pray for our church. We pray for our church planting vision. Cause this church, Lord, to be strong in you, O oh God. Lord, that you would be glorified and that many would be saved and welcomed into the kingdom of your son. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name and all of God's people say. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.